Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Glittering Bell Jar. I am your host, Valerie. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Bree, and we are working our way backwards through Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. That is our thing. We're reading the books backwards. If you've never heard of us before, now you know. Do you want to stick it out? We are at the halfway point, so we are going to be covering chapter 16 today. This is episode 15. There are 30 chapters, so we are crossing the halfway point in this episode and the next one, and I am very excited to dive in, but first, I have a very important question. How's it going today, Bree? Oh, oh, you know, I am good. I am good. Although, I must say, I mean, hopefully our YouTube followers noticed, I have never worn nail polish on this show, and Valerie, you're like a nail polish queen, and I didn't get a single compliment. No. First of all, I am not a nail polish queen, or I would have commented. (laughs) Second of all, you can't see it. These are my Hufflepuff yellow. I am still rocking Hufflepuff yellow, and they are so chippy and disgusting. I am the opposite of a nail queen. I get served that junk on Instagram, and I don't know why it's always on my Discover page, other than it's kind of weirdly, it's like weirdly fascinating to watch them put on fake nails and like shape their fingers. I don't know. But Instagram knows, and they keep showing it to me, and that is not how my nails ever look, I assure you. I have nail polish, and I put it on myself. Anyway, your nails look lovely. Well, thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's like uh, my friend Sophia did it. It's the little nail dipper thing. It's actually quite fascinating. Oh, like the powder stuff? Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Does it come off quickly? This is an important question. We have to discuss this on the podcast. I mean, I've only had it since, um, well, a couple days. So, hmm. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Looks nice. Yeah, three or four days. It's a fun, it's a fun yeah, bl- nice. blue color, like Easter egg or Tiffany blue or something like that. <laughs> I like it. I like it very much. Thank you. How are you doing? (laughs) Oh, I'm good. I'm feeling a little tired today. Uh, Yep. I have been hard at work getting ready to go on a trip, which is always fun. It's part of the job. Uh, For those of you who don't know, in addition to Harry Potter, I also run a travel blog and I'm going on a trip soon. So I've been work, 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 work. Being, uh, not even able to get words out of how much I've done because I've put all my words into my work today. But other than that, I've been great. How do you feel about just jumping into this chapter? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Chapter 16, take it away. A very frosty Christmas. It's Christmas at the Weasleys with many people there celebrating. The Weasley kids, all except Percy, who is busy at the ministry, plus Charlie, probably off traveling somewhere. Fleur, Harry, and Lupin are also there celebrating. During Christmas dinner, Percy and the Minister of Magic drop by and Scrimmager requests that Harry go on a walk with him. He attempts to get Harry to show and tell people that he approves of the ministry, and Harry immediately tells him no, and that he doesn't approve of him putting good people in Azkaban, so the public believes he's making strides against Voldemort. And that's basically where the chapter ends. (laughs) That's pretty much it. I will still read the last sentence. So as usual, uh, since we're reading the book backward, we always start by reading the last sentence of the chapter, and then we read the chapter. So here we go. Dumbledore's man through and through, aren't you, Potter? said Scrimger. Yeah, I am, said Harry. Glad we got that straightened out. And turning his back on the Minister of Magic, he strode back toward the house. Hmm. I love their exchange. I, I uh, We can talk about it in a bit, but since it was that last sentence, I just wanted to say I really, truly did love their exchange. It shows how brave and strong and um, 
in his own, uh, very in his own, <laughs> Harry was uh, during that exchange. He was very proud of himself and not scared to say whatever he wanted to. Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost audacious to think, like, if you met the president, that's basically, he's, like, talking to the president, you know, or, like, talking to, I don't know, like, the department, secretary of the department of whatever, you know, in the government. And he's like, I am not impressed by you. And I'm not going to pretend like I am. And I'm not going to give you respect you haven't earned. Which I think we would all be better served by channeling a bit sometimes. Like, if you are not impressed by a person in power, you shouldn't feel like you have to be impressed by them or pretend to be. But I do, yeah, I do love this interaction between them because it does show Harry coming into confidence in himself and, like, sticking it to Scrimgeour with the scars on the back of his hand. Like, Mm -hmm. he's literally been physically maimed by an employee of the ministry who Scrimgeour uses umbrage trying to like lure harry in and he's like you clearly don't understand me and you don't understand what happened and i'm not even i would rather not have a job as an auror than have anything to do with dolores umbrage like that's how much i hate this woman (laughs) and i don't know whether that's me saying that or harry saying that but we agree (laughs) (laughs) yeah agreed agreed i know at first i didn't remember that he showed him and i was like harry you have to tell him and then he did it yeah he puts his (laughs) hand up i must not tell lies yeah I was actually going to say uh, the thing that I, I kind of got stuck on is the chapter title. So it's a very frosty Christmas. And I was like really trying to figure out if this was a little clever joke, like episode 12, which was chapter 19, Elf Tales, where right at the end of that episode, I finally spelled out the name of the title and got the joke of like the elves are tailing Malfoy. Uh, but this one is just like a descriptor, right? Like I'm not missing something here. I feel like I'm missing something here. No, 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 no. You're right. It's not a descriptor. A very frosty Christmas. I think it's because, so if you didn't read the chapter, basically, and I didn't quite explain it, but since Floor is there, Floor and, well, Ginny and Mrs. Weasley do not get along. They're very opposite. And they kind of um, stiff each other throughout the entire episode. They take little nips at each other. And I do think that is what, you did catch it. I do, don't think it means snow. I think it means frosty as in it was the air was cold like emotionally frosty yeah yeah yeah. okay like okay okay but and and then there's also like percy shows up and scrimger shows up and harry's very frosty with him okay i got it yeah i i think that's what i understood it to mean i just wasn't sure if it was like a clever twist like the elf tales was (laughs) like that one that one definitely got me and i was like dang i just learned something new in the spelling of this chapter (laughs) i mean i think it is a clever use but you just happen to catch it (laughs) or happen to you always tend to catch it so yeah finally yeah Finally, finally caught it. I don't know how many times I've read this book and I finally caught it. (laughs) So one of the things that I wanted to chat about, and again, as a reminder, since we're reading this backwards, Brie and I do not watch the movies. We don't read any of the other books and we don't watch the movies while we're in process of making this show, which is like the hardest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. Actually, I saw part of Chamber of Secrets on the TV a few weeks ago while I was traveling and I was like really confused because I haven't watched it in so long. I didn't recognize half the scenes. Anyway, one of the scenes I love that I wish was in the book that is in the movie. So this is, we're getting into like, a interesting dynamic where usually I don't love what's in the movie, right? It's like not my favorite. There's the scene where Harry and Arthur Weasley talk about Malfoy's plans. And that happens in the book, but it happens in the sitting room where Lupin's there and Mr. Weasley's there and they're all kind of like quietly chatting in the corner. And they don't talk about the vanishing cabinets, which I mentioned a few episodes is one of my favorite things in the whole series is how the vanishing cabinets are this thread that runs through them. Anyway, I just really like this scene. I really like how Harry has these other adults that he can talk to. And he, and he uses that opportunity. Uh, I think for a young wizard who does not have parents and doesn't confide in McGonagall and kind of confides in Dumbledore, but that's only really a new thing. He doesn't have Sirius anymore. 
that he goes to other adults he knows and trusts and not Mrs. Weasley, who would get really emotional about it. Because <laughs> um, love Molly Weasley, but she has a tendency to react highly emotionally to anything that might be a threat to her children, of which she counts Harry one of them. Uh, I think it's just really smart. And I really enjoy this interaction, seeing Harry interact with other adults and be treated somewhat like an equal again. He's kind of becoming an equal with these these witches and wizards that he has surrounded himself with. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good catch. And you're right. And I think as we go along, it will be fun to see him kind of go backwards through how now he is kind of that equal. But it is so nice to see that, to see that he has those people and then now watch them protect him as he goes back and isn't quite as um, protect, you know, maybe he's not as you know, talented and powerful. So they have to protect him a little bit more because he is younger. So yeah, you're right. It was a, it was very nice. And it was nice that he's, I just like that he's at the Weasleys for Christmas where we've progressed from, you know, sometimes the Weasley go, the Weasleys, they go visit Charlie or they go somewhere else. And Harry's kind of stuck by himself for Christmas break. And I just love that he got to be there and it just shows just how, and he was so comfortable being there. You know, it just, it felt like he literally felt like he was a part of that family. And I, I really, uh, I enjoyed that for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, though. I personally would love to spend Christmas at Hogwarts. True. That is fair. Yeah. I mean, the very <laughs> first year, it's like the that it's like Christmas, a picture perfect postcard. of It's like a Hallmark mm-hmm. movie Christmas, like at a castle and you're roasting things by the fire and you have a snowball fight and then you <laughs> go have a feast with chipolatas, which are sausages. And I love sausages. And if you're watching on YouTube, my arms are swinging wildly like a Sound of Music thing is happening over here. I mean, the Weasleys, the burrow sounds lovely, but I, I think I would also love a, a Hogwarts Christmas. And maybe, maybe as part of promoting this episode, we will, uh, we will ask the people on the social medias which one they would choose because that is a, it's kind of interesting. Like, if you could only have one magical Christmas, would it be at the burrow with the best magical family in the entire world, or would it be at Hogwarts? Yeah, well, considering I would feel weird because they don't know me, I would definitely choose Hogwarts. <laughs> Well, assuming they knew you, okay, like, well, put that in the social media prompt so people realize <laughs> you made friends with one of the Weasleys and they invited you for Christmas. Would you rather be at their house or at Hogwarts? Okay. Other thing I wanted to chat about, I don't know if you caught this and I don't really have organized thoughts on it, but the idea that Lupin is serving as a spy. Yeah. And he's doing a lot of similar work to what Snape is doing. He's kind of embedding himself on Dumbledore's orders with a very degenerate group of people to serve Dumbledore. It's like a it's like a parallel I'd never picked up on. And we've it's because we've discussed Snape so much. But I'm just curious if you had any thoughts on that. I I don't know that I understand it fully, you know, like it's almost cruel and I know that Dumbledore is all about the greater good, but Lupin does not consider himself a werewolf and he absolutely hates that part of him and to make him go and be a part of that um you know, maybe it's cruel or maybe it was Dumbledore's way of being like there are good people in that group or also like you are not that part of yourself. You know, you're obviously more like a, a, a regular wizard. But yeah, it, it's um, I didn't even remember that he did that, frankly. And it's it's very sad because Lupin obviously is a very he's very hard on himself and he doesn't quite love himself. He's never learned to love himself. And I yeah, I found it kind of sad. Right. And it's not even the only time that Dumbledore does that. So it's like a Dumb- I mean, Dumbledore sends Hagrid to go emissary to the giants. Yep. And Hagrid, again, doesn't, doesn't, he doesn't even acknowledge his giantess mother. You know, it's not even something he'd ever told Harry about. You know, that we're obviously in uh, Goblet of Fire that we're talking about at this particular instance. But like Dumbledore does in this way, to me, again, it, to me, it underscores that 
the foundational part of his character that made him susceptible to Grindelwald's greater good argument, that he drank the Kool-Aid that Grindelwald was saying, if we, you know, he still has that way of strategically mechanizing the people around him to use them as tools for what he thinks the outcome should be. And it's for the greater good. And yeah, we agree it is because it defeats Voldemort. But it like puts these people, it puts Snape, who hates this evil part of himself and would do anything to undo that, what he's done, makes him serve as spy. He makes Lupin serve as spy. He makes Hagrid basically serve as spy because they don't really accomplish anything other than just observing the giants and trying not to die, which is kind of what being a spy is. We're watching the night manager right now. That's just being a spy is just like keeping an eye out, passing on messages and not getting killed. That's your whole goal. Anyway, it's kind of like I never really had caught and like put together that this is it's not like Snape being a spy is a unique thing to Snape. Dumbledore does this with anybody he thinks can do this kind of work for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the worst part of it is to me is that Dumbledore and Hagrid and even Snape, he is the only person, not only, but the main one or the first one who have accepted these people's people despite this main quote unquote flaw, you know, where giants are seen as, you know, dumb mm-hmm. or not as good and, mm-hmm. you know, werewolves are dangerous and, you know, Snape is evil and a death eater. And he kind of accepts him and loves him for that, but then he uses that. And mm-hmm. so they're like, oh, well, Dumbledore's always accepted me. I, I have to do this for him. Mm-hmm. It's like, dang, Dumbledore. <laughs> it's kind of mean. He is, in this book, I think I see more of what Aberforth describes in Deathly Hallows with my brother's always scheming, he always has a plan and it's not always in your best interest, Potter. Mm. Because we see that. I mean, we even see it in his interactions with Harry. He manipulates Harry to get Harry to do what he wants. Yeah, you can come with me to get a Horcrux. Only if you agree, you'll do everything I tell you to do. That's not a fair deal. That's not a consent, right? Like <laughs> I'm, I'm putting a strong condition of your obedience on your consent and I can override your consent by ordering you to do something. That's no longer consent. We can agree. But he does that with all of them. He puts them in positions where he's built a relationship. And I don't mean to like bash on Dumbledore. Obviously, I generally support what Dumbledore is doing and I like his character. And I think he is, despite how it might be when you look at it from a strategic level where it seems kind of cold and calculating, he does it with good intentions and with love for the people he's employing to do this work he loves these people he cares for them but it is still manipulate you can manipulate people you love and still love them it's certainly possible <laughs> i mean it's kind of what aberforth says yeah. like this is he learned this from our mother this is how we expressed our affection in our family was to do this to each other damn yeah that's true wow yeah good catch speaking of affection I decided I would like to think that what creature sends harry for christmas which ends up being a bag of moldy maggots <laughs> I think Creature sent Harry a little gift of something that just went bad. That's my new conclusion. I know that's not the case because Creature is not a happy camper being in Harry's employ, being in Harry's enslavement. I shouldn't say employ because he's not getting paid. But I decided to be like, maybe he tried to send him like a muffin that he made in the Hogwarts kitchen that wasn't very good and it went moldy and then got maggots on it. I like that. Yeah, maybe that did happen. Maybe, you know, maybe it did. Yeah, I like that. That's a good one. I'm also going to think that. The muffin was also laced with poison, but, you know, that wasn't the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, um, do we have anything else heavy you want to cover? Because I'd love to spend a couple minutes just talking about... No. Okay. I would love to spend a couple minutes just talking about, like, the scene of Christmas and all the, like, fun, intermoving parts. Mm-hmm. You know, I caught, like, a couple things. Of course, you have Fleur 
And it is, it is so fascinating to me to see how much Mrs. How Floor is not super nice to Miss Weasley either. Like none of them like each other. Mm-hmm. Floor doesn't like Miss Weasley. Miss Weasley doesn't like Floor. She doesn't even make her a sweater. She makes everyone a sweater, assumably even Lupin a sweater, and she doesn't make Floor one. Like man, that's harsh, Mrs. W. <laughs> like really? <laughs> well, she probably knows her. She, or she assumes her very fashionable, beautiful, unfortunately-to-be daughter-in-law would never <laughs> wear it anyway, which is, you know, an assumption she shouldn't make because Fleur has more depth than anyone realizes at this point. And Ron doesn't wear them either. He hates the sweaters. He doesn't wear them. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. <laughs> That's very true. Yeah. And Jenny doesn't like her either, which I, I, I can kind of see because Jenny is, although they're both talented, Fleur was in the Triwizard Tournament, but... They're just so different where Floor is obviously very beautiful and probably very fashionable and very, she thinks about completely other things where Jenny is, you know, hands in the dirt, very, she's a sports player and she's tough and, you know, smart and funny and not that Floor isn't smart, but uh, just very different. So uh, you have that, but I, I just, you, you have that happening, right? That fun dynamic. And then you just have all these small little details that are sprinkled in um, that I love, like the garden gnome uh, on top of the Christmas tree. It is stupefied, painted gold, and stuffed into a miniature tutu and has a bald head. <laughs> and that's their angel on top of the tree. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they're having eggnog and they're listening to the wireless and just enjoying the music. And I love Mr. Weasley nodding off while peeling his satsuma. I just love that image. I mean, he's a father of seven who's home for Christmas. And basically the whole family is there. The house is jam-packed to the gills. His wife wants to listen to Celestina Warbeck and he just is going to peel a satsuma and fall asleep. You know, I just can picture it. He's got his little sweater vest on that Mrs. Weasley knitted him. And he's got his glasses kind of, not on his head, but like up on his forehead at this point, you know, (laughs) you can just picture. I I love the intimacy daydreams I have, like not obviously that kind of intimacy, but of like Molly and Arthur. Yeah. You know, like we we had a thing last season where we talked about like Molly venting to Arthur when they get into bed at the end of the day. So so you've got that going and then you have the sweater. She uh, Molly knitted a sweater for Harry with the snitch. And then one last thing, I just love the love that the, the twins had for their mom. They bought her with the, you know, their newfound money in their business, which I mean, they're probably still in the red, let's be honest, but they bought her like, this big, beautiful blue new witch's hat and uh, something else. I can't remember now, but um, she was just being, oh, a necklace. They bought her a necklace, a golden necklace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was, uh, I don't know, like they were like, yeah, sorry, mom. Now that we have to wash our own socks. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the thing that was the most inconvenient part of raising Fred and George was washing their socks. It wasn't keeping <laughs> them from blowing up the house. It wasn't keeping them in school. It wasn't keeping them from getting arrested because they were selling illegal magical objects they had invented. No, no, no. It was washing their socks. Sure. That's it. I'm sure. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I think mothers, I think mothers who keep their kids out of all that trouble would appreciate the thank you, even if it was just for the socks they washed. That's fair. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, with that, you want to wrap it up? Let's wrap it up. Uh, as usual, we would love you to grab your phone and pop on into that podcast player where we're playing right now and leave us a five-star rating and review. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Most of the other players don't have ratings and reviews, but if they do, we'd love one there. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can subscribe, you can like, you can comment. You can also find us on social media. Yeah. Bell Jar Pod, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Go on. Give me a follow, give us a follow, excuse me, but I usually I will be the one that's probably responding to your messages. Comment on one of our videos. Do at us, please. I 
We have some fun stuff on there. Uh, we've been doing a series because we're doing because we're doing season two as a daily podcast. If you are listening to this around the time that the podcast was released, you should go check it out because we've been doing posts every day with cool little things we've talked about in the episodes or polls or videos or audiograms, like all the stuff that you're hearing. There's more there, right? And there's more than usual because when we're in between seasons, we aren't necessarily creating as much as when we're in season. So yeah, go check out our social, okay? At Pod, all over. Yeah, we... We worked really hard on it, so just you know, <laughs> <We> show, <do. laughs> help us feel good. You know, we need some <laughs> some, some appreciation, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and yeah. You can email us. You can find the email at podcast at followthebutterflies.com. Followthebutterflies.com is a Harry Potter blog I run. There's lots of other Harry Potter stuff there. And this week, we would like you to share the podcast with somebody who loves eggnog. I mean, that's an easy one. Who doesn't? I mean, unless you're lactose intolerant or you can't have eggs. Everybody loves, well, you're vegan. Sorry, Brie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, other than your vegan friends and the people who can't have lactose and the people who can't have eggs, which happen to be my husband. Yeah. If you know somebody who loves eggnog, maybe there aren't as many people as I thought, but I love eggnog. I will share the podcast with them today and we will see you next time. Thanks for joining. Glittering Bell Jar is a Harry Potter podcast produced by the Calibro Group in partnership with Wild Goose Creatives. It is an unofficial fan project that is not authorized, approved, licensed, or endorsed by J.K. Rowling, her publishers, or Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated. Our theme music is Carnival of the Animals R125, Aquarium by Moments, licensed via Soundstripe. You can discover even more magic on followthebutterflies.com.